1: Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Today's show is brought to you by Benedictine College and in part by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash thinking bigger. Today we welcome Robert X Cringley who wrote the notes from the field column in InfoWorld, which is a weekly computer trade newspaper. He did that from 1987 to 1995. He's also the author of the best-selling book Accidental Empires: How the Boys of Silicon Valley Make Their Millions Battle Foreign Competition and still can't get a date. His PBS documentaries have aired in 60 countries, more than 60 countries actually, and today Bob's here to discuss his new book, The Decline and Fall of IBM. Welcome to the show today, Bob.
0: Well, thank you, Kelly. I'm really happy to be here.
1: Well, and you have this new book out. How did you get involved with this project to begin with, this topic? Uh, How did it come to you, and, and why write a book about it?
0: Well, Kelly, I'm a, I'm a blogger, and mm-hmm. I have about 500,000 readers, and I was in Rochester, Minnesota in 2007 working on a documentary for PBS when I stumbled into this story of IBM, which is a big employer up in Rochester, mm-hmm. and there were large layoffs looming, and there was nothing in the press about it, but there was plenty in the hotel bar, so I... I uh, pursued the story and have done so since for six years, and it's the, it's the literally the decline and fall of IBM as the company sort of self destructs,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: yet the the normal press, general press, business press have just ignored the story, and I don't know why.
1: Well, and you know, I wanted to touch on that part of this too in the conversation. You say ignored the story, perhaps. I also wondered, what do you think the role of, you know, declining readership in magazines and in newspapers has played in this with uh, publishers and owners of these conglomerates laying people off, reporters that formerly, this was what they did is they watched these companies or they watched a certain beat and now, you know, they don't have people dedicated to that. How much of that do you think has played into this story and what it says for, Future reporting on things that are very important to the economy and, and to other other things here in the country
0: I think that business reporting in America has become very shallow
2: mm.
0: and there's an emphasis on uh, celebrity executives uh, high pay uh, earnings per share quarterly earnings um, analyst ex- expectations and if you think about it that that Wall Street lives and, and dies by by the volume right what they want are is is continuing trading based on news reports that say things you know they don't care if it goes up or down but they really aren't looking much beyond next quarter and that's that's part of the problem with our coverage and that there, there aren't reporters who are devoted to companies anymore. Uh, you know the people in Rochester uh, didn't care so much in 2007 they care less today because there's no one on that beat
1: yeah bringing this to everybody's attention now going back to IBM it's been written off more than once before in the different different the C, different CEOs who have led it why do you think that now in particular they are in the true death throes or as you wrote or as you wrote in the book you used the word doomed why why do you think now it really is happening
0: well in the last uh, 8 years the company has given back to its shareholders uh, one hundred and one billion dollars which is uh, which is a good thing you know in share buybacks which is a good thing for the shareholders but that's more money than the company made in profits during that time period hmm. so in other words they're eating their seed corn mm-hmm. they are they're they're giving away fifteen percent of the company every year and if you do that you can only do that for about ten years and so um, they're they're doing this to to keep up pretenses to keep the the numbers right for Wall Street because IBM's new customer IBM's customer was always corporate America IBM's new customer in the last eight years has been Wall Street. Mm-hmm. This is because executive pay is primarily based on bonuses that are tied to earnings per share. And and that's not a that's not a real measure of the success of the business. No one's no one's getting uh, promoted based on. Uh, a new product a successful product solving a problem you know helping america none of that's true it's all the artificial earnings per share that is tied to hundreds of millions of dollars in executive bonuses and and what this has led to in in ibm is a is a corporate culture that used to be the best in the world and has now become class warfare where The people at the top are really, really well paid, and everyone else is very poorly paid. The company is starving itself in order to bring home these numbers that aren't real.
1: Okay, when you say starving itself, what are the implications? Inferior quality? I mean, I I just made that up, but, I mean, give me some examples of what is occurring when you're – Using the seed corn, what what are the implications internally besides the class warfare when it comes to uh, innovation, uh, product development, quality, those types of things? What's going on there?
0: Well, Kelly, in in IBM's traditional businesses, for example, mainframe computers, they they literally haven't invested in years. So new computers come out, but basically it's a it's a new coat of paint. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not progress. IBM's biggest business is computer services where they help manage the computer services for, for large corporate clients. And they're losing those in droves because they have a really interesting mindset for, for, for doing the business. Here's how, here's how it works. They bid whatever it takes to get the contract, mm-hmm. even if they're going to lose money on it. Then they take out the profit that they would have gotten had they bid it correctly. And whatever's left is what they'll use to to perform. And so so they will, for example, in the contract, have 40 full-time equivalent employees who are devoted to this account. And that sounds great until you find out that they're also devoted to eight other accounts.
1: Ah, they're not dedicated.
0: That's right. and and, and a lot of the in, in the in the computer service business there's, there are things called service level agreements that are this is what I'm going to do for you. And, and this is your recourse, and this is how it's going to happen. And a lot of the things in the service-level agreement, IBM's simply not performing. They're like not monitoring the computers. They're waiting for people to complain when things break mm-hmm. rather than seeing if something's broken. And even though the service-level agreement says that they should do this, they're not because they found it's cheaper to pay penalties than it is to do the work.
1: Oh. That's always a sad state of affairs whenever you can get by that way. So when did all of this really start? Uh, it, obviously, it didn't happen overnight. These shifts usually sneak up on you, and then it snowballs. You're, you're almost past the point of no return sometimes. So when did this
0: shift start? Well, what happened was IBM was in terrible trouble in the early 1990s right. uh, for, for entirely different reasons. A new uh, chief executive, the first CEO, from outside the company in its entire history was brought in, a guy named Lou Gerstner, who saved IBM. He moved them into services. He did a lot of very important things. He got rid of 100,000 employees, and he, he, he really did save IBM. Then he handed the business over to a guy named Sam Palmisano, and Palmisano is the guy who set IBM up to fail. How so? What he, when Gerstner was hired, he, they paid him a lot of money because he was, mm-hmm. the, he was you know, the hired gun brought in right. to save, save the day. And executive compensation went up by a factor of 10. Mm. You know, his predecessor made $1.4 million a year. Gerstner made $14 million a year.
1: Hugely, well, yeah. When,
0: when, when Paul Mazzano came in to take over, he was an old-line guy, but he didn't want old-line pay. He wanted Gerstner's pay. <laughs> When he retired 11 years later, he retired with a a retirement plan valued at $271 million. Mm.
2: And
0: and so they they set up these expectations. They they created an earnings per share culture. And here's the amazing thing that Sam Palmisano did. He started making five-year targets for earnings per share. If you think back to Soviet history, five-year central planning was the death of the Soviet Union. And that is what's happened at IBM today. Now, Sam has retired, and he's got his money. He's out. His his successor is a lady named Ginny Rometty, and she is saddled with his 2015 earnings per share goal of $20 per share. And she's, she's destroying the company in order to achieve this goal with no expectation of what's going to happen the day after. You know, there's no thought beyond 2015. Mm-hmm. And so, so this is why the company is in such trouble.
1: So we have this new CEO, Jenny Rometty. With the handwriting on the wall, I mean, if you can see this from where you sit, internally they've got access to the numbers. Is it the fact that it, it's the executive compensation? It really does come down to that. And, and the Wall Street shares that keep just the focus on this 2015 goal, even though there may not be a 2016. I mean, why can't it be changed?
0: Well, I hope it can be changed, which is why I wrote a book. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and, and in the book, I, I lay out the history. I explain exactly what's happened. I give lots of examples of, of problems in the company. And in the final chapter, I explain what can be done still to save IBM, okay. which is basically Ooh. concentrating on, on their actual business. You know, let's mind the business.
1: Yeah, and I want to go back and talk about that some more. But first, we're going to take a break here. A word from our sponsors. We're talking with Robert X. Cringely, who is the author of The Decline and Fall of IBM, recently released. We're going to take a break. When we get back, uh, we're going to talk with him more about maybe what can be done to save IBM and the implications it has for other American corporations. We'll be right
0: back. It's true, who you know is important, but what you know and how you apply that knowledge is what helps accelerate your career. Benedictine College's Executive MBA program is the only one-year Executive MBA program in Kansas City. The North Johnson County campus and weekend class times are convenient and allow you to learn from world-class thought leaders and collaborate with other executives who intend to make a difference in their business and their community. Go to benedictine.edu slash EMBA i okay. With the real Obamacare please stand up? The no-politics, spend-free zone for health care and the Affordable Care Act. I'm your host, Alex Greenwood, and I'm joined every week by your federally certified Affordable Care Act specialist, Mr. Greg Howard. That's a mouthful. You said it, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what we really do. What we really do is help people understand how the Affordable Care Act impacts them, their family, their business. We make it simple so that people can go on with their lives. Couldn't have said it better myself, and you'll find it every Friday at 1 p.m. on Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio at blogtalkradio.com. That's Would the Real Obamacare Please Stand Up, Fridays at 1.
1: Hey, we're back. I'm Kelly Scanlon, your host, and I'd like to introduce you to one of our new sponsors. The company is Audible.com, and if you're not familiar with what they do, they're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to any of them on any device – Including what you are hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our URL, don't go to their main website because you won't be able to get the offer if you do that. You need to go to our URL, audibletrial.com forward slash thinking bigger. And if you do that, you get one free audiobook and a one month Free trial of the service. A good example of this is our guest today, Robert X. Cringley. He has a new book out It's called The Decline and Fall of IBM, and it will soon be available on Audible.com. But again, you need to use our special URL, audibletrial.com forward slash thinking bigger, in order to get that free audiobook and a one month trial of the service. We're visiting here this morning with author Robert X. Cringley, who is the author of a recently released book, The Decline and Fall of IBM, The End of an American Icon. And he is also the author of another best selling book called Accidental Empires, and it's about the boys of Silicon Valley. And he is a Silicon Valley confidant, has access to lots of different information and people which he uses to write lots of different columns for the New York Times and, and other major media. But today You know, we've been talking about IBM, how it got where it is, the culture uh, of executive compensation and answering to Wall Street, and you were just talking about IBM and the fact that it could still be salvaged, And, and you gave a very brief comment about that, but could you expand on that? What needs to be done in IBM in order to, I don't know, if it can be returned to its glory days, but at least salvage it?
0: Well, IBM has, uh, Kelly, some really good businesses, the, the traditional businesses that have been in, like, mainframe computers. Mm-hmm. And they haven't invested in those businesses in years, in decades in some cases. And they can uh, – if, if they were to here, – here's an example. Um, you may recall that IBM's Watson computer or computer program won Jeopardy. Right. you remember that?
1: Yes, I yeah, do. That
0: was, a, that was a big deal. That yes. got a lot of press. It was I'd really forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a very impressive thing. It cost IBM $1 billion to win Jeopardy. <laughs>
1: a billion a, dollars.
0: A billion dollars to win Jeopardy. And, and they could say, well, look, but we've developed this advanced technology, which is u- useful for all sorts of things. And that's, that's what they say. But I, I I'm here to tell you. Having talked to experts all over the country the Watson technology that was used to win Jeopardy is useful only to win Jeopardy.
1: So it can't I mean, be applied it, anywhere else.
0: For another billion, uh-huh. they could. And, and 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 to a certain extent they are, but but what IBM has done is they they since their customers Wall Street they want flashy stories. They want they want to talk about entering new markets that are what IBM needs IBM is a 100 billion dollar company so if they're going to have a new business it's going to be a significant have a significant impact on the company it needs to be a 10 billion dollar business
2: mm-hmm. well there
0: aren't that many 10 billion dollar businesses out there you know they can't go into making cars right so 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 what they do is they they have these uh market segments there's Watson you know Jeopardy that's going to turn into something they say. There's cloud computing. They're investing 1.2 billion dollars in cloud computing. There's big data and big data analytics, which is what they're saying Watson will become. But it's going to take another billion dollars to do that. And the, and the question, my question is, are these businesses really 10 billion dollar businesses down the road when they could when they right now have a 30 billion dollar business in mainframe computers? that they could rejuvenate. Mm-hmm. And so I'm saying be realistic about these expectations. Cloud computing is a business where the computing power is placed in, in the network on thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of small, cheap computers. That's like what Google does. And the problem with that is the price is dropping 50% per year. IBM is not good at businesses where the price is continually dropping.
1: Okay, so you have a chapter in your book called Why Big Companies Can't Change. You've just outlined some of the things that IBM can do to save itself, uh, yet it is very difficult to turn ships of that size around. Talk to us about that.
0: Well, it comes down to to two things, Kelly. Big companies often don't ask the question, why? Why? They ask what, and they ask how, but they never ask why. And 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 if we look at a, a wonderful example of a big company asking why, look at Apple Computer and Steve Jobs, and the question is, why would I want an iPod? And his answer is, to have every song you've ever owned in your pocket. And that answer became the basis of, the iPod and iTunes and an ecosystem that changed the music industry. There's no one at IBM asking why. There's no one at IBM, frankly, using their own products. You know, Ginny Rometty doesn't use a mainframe computer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, So big companies tend not to do that. Big companies tend to need $10 billion businesses, and they... Uh, if it isn't a 10 billion dollar business and it doesn't cost at least a billion dollars to do they can't take it in front of the board sure. whereas I, I for example years ago i worked at a software company called adobe systems a big company in silicon valley right and and i i was uh, a product manager for one of their products and i did the business plan for a new a new software application called illustrator ah and, and Illustrator is still available, yep. and it was their, it was their first wrap consumer application. And when we did the business plan, it, after five years, it said we would make $87,000. Well, you know, you don't spend millions of dollars no. <laughs> to make $87,000, and yet we did. And the question is why, the question why would we do that is because John Warnock, the founder of the company, wanted a drawing program. He just wanted it. Now here here's here's the bottom line. It's now 25 years later. Adobe Systems has a market cap of 34 billion dollars. 33 of those billion dollars are based on the software that began with Illustrator.
1: Okay, so it gave birth to lots of other.
0: It changed the yeah. company. Yes, it gave it, it put it in a new business that has turned into its livelihood. But if you took to the board of any big company the promise to spend millions tens of millions of dollars and make almost nothing in five years they would say well what about next quarter what about next year you know this doesn't make any sense we can't do this let's acquire a company that has something like that
1: right right there's no time to wait yeah
0: and that's what ibm is doing right now is acquiring lots of companies and that could be a good thing if they were respecting the companies that they were acquiring typically what they're doing is they're acquiring companies and then getting rid of most of the staff and milking the products for profits because they have to generate those profits for the earnings per share and buy back shares and pay for them and and it's it's not a sustainable business model. Yeah.
1: So what lessons does the IBM story have for other American companies because I'm sure that there are other Look at Wall Street. You're, you're absolutely right. It's quarter to quarter to quarter, and more and more companies are playing to that. So what kind of lessons do you see for other, or would you, would you if they were listening, would you tell other company executives, major company executives, to learn from IBM?
0: Well, the, the lesson here is a real simple one. Uh, if you look at the history of the way large, corporate, large public companies are managed in the United States, there's an interesting, there are some interesting trends that are typically not covered in the press. One of them is that throughout the 1960s and 1970s, CEO compensation as a percent of sales of public American companies consistently went down. That isn't to say that they made less money. It is to say that they made less money as a percentage of sales because the companies were growing. Right. Well, if I'm the CEO, maybe you remember when you were a kid, when we were a kid, the the guy, Lee Iacocca, mm-hmm. was running, you know, he ran Ford and then he ran Chrysler right. and he was making a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't making $100 million a year. He right. wasn't making $40 million a year. You know, he was making a million bucks and had a great car. <laughs> and 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 what happened was in 1976, actually 1975, Two professors from the University of Rochester in New York wrote a paper in which they dealt with the problem they saw a conflict between executives the interests of chief executives and the interests of the owners of the corporation. And they and they they saw the only logical answer to this conflict was to tie executive compensation to the Wall Street performance of the shares. And that all sounds great. It does, in theory, sure. sounds terrific. But what what happened was it became a justification for dramatically increasing executive compensation. So starting in 1976, CEO pay skyrocketed in America. And so now a typical CEO is making 40 times what they were making in 1975. Mm -hmm. And our performance is not... Forty times that for example the return on equity on shareholder equity of the average public company in america is 25 percent what it was in 1965 Mm. that's terrible yeah but it but it's what we've done is we've traded one measurement for another and the one we've we've gone for somehow says there's this you know there was this conflict only no one noticed it no one felt it now we've we've supposedly dealt with it by tying compensation together and yet we've created something else that's really, really interesting, which is Enron, mm-hmm. WorldCom, you know, these 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 companies where the other way to achieve this is to just cook the books. True. And true. That, and, and so that so, you know, all things being equal and everyone being honest, well, maybe that would help. But the funny thing is, there wasn't a problem to begin with. It was just two professors trying to write a paper.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny how how when you trace a lot of these things back, they're a lot of times they're, they seem to be inconsequential, but they're the origins of something that is is very culture changing. That's very uh, that really sets you on a course that you can't see at the time the full ramifications if you take it all the way down the line. Uh, With the time we have left, you make a lot of predictions. What are your predictions for 2015? Halfway through 2014, what do you see for
0: 2015? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Loaded question, uh, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, you know what I don't see uh, immediately impending is, uh, if we're talking about the markets, uh, I don't see a big crash. A lot of people are thinking that uh, we've, we've went along uh, doing so well for so long that mm-hmm. it's time for something to happen. Yeah,
1: we're and, about to hit eighteen thousand right now. And, yeah,
0: and I just don't see it uh, not this year. Okay. So, so whatever you're holding now is probably fine for now. And and uh, in, in that regard, uh, technology is driving is driving us. And uh, you know, new technology is coming all the time. I could predict specific things, but I don't think they're going to affect your your listeners all that much there's a huge issue that i think is going to come to the fore later in the year which is immigration reform Mm -hmm. and and the story of immigration reform which i cover to a certain extent in this book is completely misunderstood
1: okay and for anyone who would like to read more about that and about the story of ibm and what steps need to be taken to resurrect it where can they find your book robert
0: Well, it's available as an e-book on every platform. So wherever you buy your e-books, you can buy it from iTunes or from Amazon or from uh, Barnes & Noble. It's also available as a uh, paperback through Amazon. So go there. All
1: right. Thank you so much for your time and insights today. And if you'd like to learn how to grow your business, please visit us at IThinkBigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at IThinkBigger. Thanks for tuning in today, and have a great weekend. We'll be back next week.